What up, y'all? This is Alex Clark Youngblood. Today we have our second episode with my older sister, Katie Clark Keene. I'm not posting these episodes in the order in which they were recorded. Um, I recorded my first interview with Katie in this, right around the time I recorded my f- that the first interview with my mom in 2017. But that interview disappeared into the ether. So the interview you're hearing here is actually one of the last interviews I recorded when I went on this kind of podcast interview tour throughout the United States in the summer of 2018. Uh, this is one of the final interviews I recorded when Katie was home for her 20th high school reunion in the town in which we all grew up. And we recorded this interview at my mom's house um, when she was home for the reunion. Um, I'm trying to post these interviews, or I will post these interviews in the chronological order in which I met these people. So obviously, first interview, my mom, first person I met, second interview, second relationship I ever formed, my older sister. Katie is my older half-sister. We have different dads. My mom in her interview kind of delineated that story. But yes, we, we have we have different dads. Uh, but we grew up together our entire lives, so I've always considered Katie uh, my full sibling, just as I do my younger sister, Morgan Clark Youngblood, who we will hear from in our third episodes. Uh, but I consider them both both my full siblings. I grew up; We all grew up together in the same household, being raised by the same single mother, so we're all one big happy family to this day. But this is an awesome interview. Uh, my sister's an awesome person, uh, and it was a, it was a great time. Uh, recording it with her. We get into all kinds of shit. Uh, as always, we start with a brief background of her life, and then we get into all kinds of life stuff. Mostly, this uh, podcast focuses a lot on marriage and child rearing and uh, different approaches to living life and kind of the guiding uh, question or thread that runs through out all of these initial interviews with my family and friends is kind of me throwing up my hands as a, a man in his 30s, his early 30s, or entering his 30s saying... I don't know what the fuck's going on out here on this on this rock spinning around the sun. Like, what? A, how are you supposed to be an adult? And it's me picking the brains of of people in my lives who are adult and who adults and who I love and respect, and just trying to get their perspective on on existence. So uh, here's my older sister, Katie Clark Keene. All right, twenty. You're here for your twentieth high school reunion. It went well. It was fun. It sounds like it was fun from where you it told me. It was really me. fun. It was really fun. It was really good to see everybody. There's a lot of people even that are even more so like elementary and middle school for me. That like... That you knew from elementary and middle school? Yeah. That I was really good friends with like third through fifth grade or even, you know, through eighth grade kind of stuff. And like, yes, I was really good friends with a lot of those people continuing through high school. But some of those relationships even honestly were more like just remnant from elementary and middle school. So like course we were still friends in high school kind of a thing but like not like we really hung out that much so like mm-hmm. some of the stories that were coming up were not like do you remember in 11th grade when we did blah 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 it was like man do you remember I spent like the entire 5th grade year at your house and it was awesome because my mom and dad were so busy because I had three younger brothers and you know your mom just never cared she was so sweet and the only thing she cared about was that I woke up so early and like she was a single mom so she like and you slept forever, so, like, I would just give you... She would just give me a Walkman every morning and be like, that's fine, you can, you know, get up whenever you want, but just listen to this Walkman and let us sleep. <laughs> she was like, and so I lived there for a year, and it was amazing. So, like, those are the kind of stories that were coming Did up. Did you meet people you'd never met before? Uh, 
I don't know because I know there are more people I met that I didn't remember. I guess that's kind of awkward, like, yeah. But like, who knows? Maybe we were lab partners, and I'm just a dick. Right. Like, I don't know. There was one guy that actually, like, I was fairly good friends with, and he was standing right next to me, and I was talking to somebody else, and he looks at me, he goes, "I remember you." You don't remember me, do you? And I was like, no, you're not wearing a name tag. That's cheating. <laughs> and then he introduced himself, and I was like, I do remember you, but you don't look anything like yourself. Uh-huh. So, but then I talked to someone else, and they were like, are you kidding me? He looked exactly the same. So I was like, oh, I don't know. But So there was a couple of those little awkward moments, but overall it wasn't. Overall it was pretty Was easy. it like a dance floor? Was it like was it like prom? How? It was. I never went. Was, I, feel like, I think ours is just like a bar. Ours is called, it was a zone of light, which is an, like, it's a really cool, That's like. That's what it's called? Yeah, zone of light. It's like an art studio. Event space. Okay. Yeah, event space that we rented. And so it's this giant warehousey room, and then there are some, like, secondary rooms. And the place itself is available for rent and, like, for, like, events where, like, even, like, for kids, you can rent out, like, the black light room that has, like, tons of, like, black light paint. So we had that one. There was, like, a slideshow of us, like, different pictures from school. From and, high school? Yeah. And then, it's high. Where do they get those? From, like, yearbook and people shit? People submit them. Uh, and yeah, yeah. And then they had... But there was also, like, glow-in-the-dark spin art, spin art out on the table. For people to do? Yeah. And so, like, David's wife came back, like, black, like, paint all over her body. Like, what? And then there was, like, a photo booth, like, you would have at a wedding. Uh-huh. And it said thing, you know, like, photo bubbles, that, like, word bubbles that would say, like, I don't remember anyone. Or class of 98, go Cougs, or whatever. Uh-huh. But, like, for the most part, we were all in one giant room. And then a really good friend of mine from middle school up, he owns a catering company and a restaurant, is opening a new restaurant, like super, doing super great in Atlanta. And so he and his wife and their company catered it. So we had like really amazing food and there was a DJ and open bar, but it was really loud. So you're screaming the whole time, like screaming in people's faces. Were people dancing? There were, there were definitely people dancing. Mostly, you know, like the drunk chicks. Right. Dude, that's awesome. So it's like an actual party and people bought in. It was very much an actual I, I wish I would have gone to mine so I could compare it, but I, did, I didn't get that impression from my, uh, ours. I feel like, from what I heard about ours, I feel like ours was just like at a bar and like people were kind of like adult catching up. Yeah, no, the, ours was not adult catching up. I mean, I'm sure there were some people that thought it was meh. I'm sure there were some people that maybe didn't even have a good time, but to be honest, I was probably insulated from those people because I was in the other group that was awake until 2 a.m. at the after party, right? So the people that probably thought it was meh and didn't have a good time had pieced out way before that. And certainly didn't bother to, like, come up to other people and make it known that they weren't having a good time. He had an after party, too, at someone's house? Like a house, yeah. high school house party? There was a pre-party and an after party. Oh, those are pre-game? The pre-game, and then, they like, a couple Did of you them rented... Pre-game? I didn't make it, but a couple of the guys rented scooters and, like, scooted into the warehouse, like, for their entrances. Oh, for real? It was cute. Ah. And then at, like, we had the, um... The venue from 7 to 10, but they just, like, let us keep it. So the girl looked kind of pissed that we were still there, but overall she was good about it. And, um, but, like, at 10, like, for liability, the the servers and, like, the bartender people had to, like, quit. And so, like, husbands that were, like, were husbands. We didn't graduate here. Like, they were more than happy to jump back there and, like, cocktailed up. So that was really cute. So, I mean, we were, it was probably closer to midnight before everyone was out of there. How did Tyson do? Your husband's pretty reserved. So, I think because this wasn't his first rodeo and he had had some time to mentally prepare. What do you mean his first rodeo? His first rodeo in terms of going to, like, a fairly large party with me and having to deal with the fact that, like, I'm off like a little butterfly flitting around. And he also, I think, like I said, mentally had prepared for it, like, knew we were coming to that and knew kind of this was going to be a bigger event and... 
had met a few people the night before it when we went to the football game kind of thing. He did great. He did turn to alcohol, but many people did. Um, did you drink? I had, about, have- I had about half of a beer. I get really bad headaches after like one, so, yeah, no. I probably Damn, you were up till 2 a.m. and you didn't even drink? Yeah, I literally nursed two different beers, so collectively I had about one beer in total over like six. Holy smokes. That's crazy. That was high on life. Sounds like it. Yeah. I want to get to that point. Although for my 23 and I'm definitely getting banged up. If I had something like that. No, was- t- oh, sorry, go ahead. I try to reserve my drinking these days for events like that. Like, I don't go, I don't really get fucked up anymore unless it's like an event. Like a planned event that I know about in advance. Sure. I mean, for me, like, I definitely thought about it. Like, I don't drink anymore. And if I do, it's like one or half of something, right? Because it's just not worth it to me. And I don't want to spend a day or more. Like, my, if I have a hangover, it's horrific. And I, I figured if I drank anything, it had been so long, too, like, it would be bad. And so when they're like, everybody from Esther Jackson Elementary, let's do a firebomb. I like, oh, like really? they I would that? take it and pass it back. You know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. And I also just, it was important to me to remember <laughs> it. Like, I wanted to remember that night. Right. You know? So, I didn't want to be like, did I see that person? And, like, have to flip through the pictures. Like, uh-huh. I wanted to remember having a conversation with uh-huh. Chris. Or, so, yeah. It was good. Let's go back to elementary school. Good segue. So, you... <laughs> <laughs> Solid segue. We really worked that one in. I usually start the podcast with, like, a background thing. Okay. So, let's start there. Give us your back. Give us like a I don't have like a as background. quick as I'm gonna give a little background, like an intro, but give a more detailed background than that. Literally from like your birth up until now. See if you can s- summarize in like ten minutes, five minutes maybe, five oh, ten minutes. Okay. You, I was born in the and go. Oh, I thought that. you were gonna do your intro. <laughs> no, I'm gonna do that prior to the I podcast. Got you. You're gonna cheat. Um, I was born in uh, Monroe, Louisiana. Um, my parents. Yeah, I'm gonna pee because it's gonna be like a five minute soliloquy. Keep going. So I just get to like talk to myself. Yeah, all right. right I was born in Monroe, Louisiana, 1980. Two eleven fell from heaven. Um, my mom and dad uh, were married at the time, but I that my understanding is that is a direct response to the pregnancy. Um, they did not stay married. Do you know the story behind that? Do you know the actual story behind that? Uh, like she went over to get her stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I do. I was just sparing the podcast listeners. Uh, mom told it on her podcast. Oh, okay. So just go back to mom's <laughs> mom's episode if you want to know that backstory. But anyway, so they were married until I, I think she says like I was like six weeks old or something, and my dad was a dick to um, to my uncle Sean, who was like nine years old at the time, and so my mom like packed us up in her little hatchback and left. Um, so, but I maintain a relationship. We still lived in the same town as my dad and um, until the end of my second grade year. So he had like weekends or every other weekend or something. So I, like we maintained a good relationship that way. Um, but then my mom started um, seeing a man who was the dad of a girl that I went to kindergarten with. And that's actually who is Alex's dad. And, my dad. Um, Morgan's dad. So then they had Alex... Um, out of wedlock mm-hmm. and then my our grandmother had moved with my uncle Sean to Atlanta right around like after Ali was born I don't know if you were born anyway and then so then mom decided to move us to Atlanta so sh- she was pregnant with Morgan I think or maybe not anyway we moved to Atlanta 
I started third grade here in Roswell, Georgia. We bought a house on North Line Court. Um, I went to elementary, middle, and high school, and, you know, zoned from the same house here in Atlanta. Graduated from Chattahoochee High School. Uh, went to um, University of Mississippi, Ole Miss, on a theater scholarship, which I lost, like, second semester, probably, from grades. Um, stayed there way too long, like... Took five years to graduate and then hung out for another year selling cell phones. Moved back here. Um, back here to Atlanta, Roswell. Moved back here to Roswell. Decided I thought I might want to get into education because apparently that's just like what we have to do in our family. Um, worked as a paraprofessional in a preschool program, public preschool program for special needs. It was the teacher I worked with was horrific. Like, I, I won't get into that, but it was like one of those things where it was like a situation where you know if you can make it out of that and actually still want to be doing something in this field, at least for a while, then like you're legit because it was that bad of an experience. Got my master's um, in special education and my teaching cert from North Georgia in Dahlonega. Uh, worked at a private Catholic school for th- through two years here, and then I moved to Chicago originally because it was like a mutual agreement between me and an ex-boyfriend that we were both going to move there after he finished school. He was younger than me, or is younger than me. Um, but then um, that relationship ended shortly after I moved to Chicago. So I was stuck in an apartment with a too hefty of a rent and a really scary job on the west side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. At a you know a very, very, very sketchy area of Chicago um, teaching. And I kind of jumped around jobs in the city, different public schools, private autism schools, things like that. I met my husband pretty soon after I had moved there um, at a... Like within a year? Yeah, within a year at a um, country dive bar called Carol's at like 2 a.m. Was it Wrigleyville? It's just north of Wrigleyville. It's like uptown area. And I'm probably saying that. Yeah, I think it's uptown. Um, I had just finished, it was closing night of a play that I had done, a Christmas story, where I played like an 11-year-old, and, um, I was out with my friends, again, it was the after-after party, um, it was two nights before Christmas, and I was the designated driver for Priscilla and a couple other guys, and, um, my husband Tyson was with his group of, like, a reunion of, like, his friends all coming home from high, high school and college, so they were out. He was wasted. I was sober. Uh, but what was endearing is, like, he kept trying to dance with me, and I really didn't want anything. Really? Yeah. He, I didn't want anything. He's, well, when he's drunk, he's, he's different. I mean, he's, When he's drunk, he, like, tries to dance and he shit? He thinks he's got game. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but also, okay, so what was endearing is he was wearing a shirt that had, co- this is ridiculous, but he had Cobra Commander on it, so it was 80s reference, which I love 80s, and I'm standing there in, like, skinny jeans and a New Kids on the Block t-shirt and All-Stars, like, Converse. Mm-hmm. So it was, like, cute. And um, he asked me for my number after a while, and I gave it to him, and then he called my phone immediately. So I quit back, like, does that happen to you a lot? Like, people give you the wrong number? And, like, that was my first encounter. Did he with, call like, it in front of you, or, like... He called it right after I gave it to him. My phone rang as my phone was, like... Like, you gave it to him, and then he's still standing there and calls He's like, it. wait, wait, wait. Like, don't go anywhere. And I'd, I would probably do that shit, too. Well, and as he said, like, so what was so endearing, though, is, like, I said, does that happen to you a lot? 
And again, this is my first encounter with like how truly honest this man is. Like he literally looks at me and is like, I mean, it's happened. <laughs> <laughs> But like he doesn't even know like that like you're not supposed to you're not supposed to call the girl right in front of them right quote unquote not supposed to or you're not supposed to say to them yes that's happened to me. <laughs> I would have done the same thing. I do that. Yeah. But not because I guess for different reasons. I don't think they give him the wrong number. I was like, oh, she's drunk. She might have put it in wrong. So I'll call it. I didn't put it in. I said it to him. So he was like, <laughs> oh, I think. Anyway, so yeah, I met like we dated. Uh, I don't know. That was pretty normal. Like we dated in the city. Um, what isn't normal is that um, the next year I had moved in with two girlfriends I had met through friends that lived in the city. One of my roommates actually committed suicide. So Tyson and I um, moved in together a lot earlier than we probably ori- no, not a lot earlier, a few months earlier than we had originally in- in- anticipated because I moved out of that apartment. Um, and then we ended up buying a place getting engaged, having our first kids, staying in Chicago for a little over a year after having her. And then we moved farther out into the suburbs of Chicago um, near his family, but to, and also to have just a bigger house and not run over homeless people with your stroller, that kind of stuff. So. And there you are. And I'm, not, and I'm not teaching right now. I taught, I taught out in the suburbs for three-ish years, too. So, I mean, all, in all in all, I've taught like 11 or 12 years of special ed. Various grades and capacities, um, but I've stayed home for a little over two years now. Ever since we found out we were pregnant with the third one, we decided I wasn't going to go back, at least for a little bit. I think that was like, maybe we'll see how a year goes, and like, I'm in no rush. And I don't know if I want to return to, to pub- at least public education, so we'll see. Do you want to return to working at some point, though? Yes, but I don't know if I want to return to like a classical 9 to 5 full-time. Right. Ever. If I do, I think it would really need to be something like I thought was fan-fucking-tastic. Right. Right now, I mean, I like what I'm doing, which is, you know, makes me like, you know, no no actual money. But it's like, just like spending money for our family. Like, I paid for like horseback riding for Amelia and gymnastics and preschool just by doing like the, like, online teaching to China. So I teach English online at like 5 a.m. in the morning. And or it's fun. 11 o'clock at night. Or 11 o'clock. No. Yeah. Like 9 to 10.30. It's late, I feel like. I'll take a nap at 1 when Elliot goes down. Um, what did you want to be... Growing up, what did you think you wanted to be? Like, take me through your progression of, like, your hopes and dreams. So, for me, I always... I've mentioned this in the podcast various times. Like, I always wanted to be a professional athlete. And then right around uh start of high school, I realized, like, this is probably not going to happen. And then... I didn't really ever develop uh, an idea of what I wanted to be because for well for me personally because I was just my mind was so riddled with OCD I never had like any cognitive capacity to think about what I wanted to be yeah until I got to college and I was like holy shit I got to do something about this OCD and start planning for like what I'm going to be when I'm an adult and like even and then a big part of me doing this podcast right now a big theme of it is me turning thirty and being like fuck I still don't know what the, I want to be mm-hmm. and you mentioned something too that influenced me was like. You said when you got into education, you felt like it's like that's what we have to do in this family because our mom was in education. It just seemed safer, kind of like I, it was like a known, not a known, known evil, but like just a known, right? right? Like it's always so interesting to me too to find out like whether it's like people from my past, like people from the reunion or, or people that I meet and they have these jobs that like whether they're like really like elegant 
job titles or like their jobs like just sound really exciting or adventurous or they travel X, Y, and Z. And like, I'm like, how did you find out about those? Like in my brain, and I don't know if it was just like, if it's like my personality or whatever, like I always felt like you had to be like a classical job, like a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, a policeman. Mm -hmm. And there's like all these other different things and shifts and manifestation, whatever. So for me, I guess originally young, I wanted to be a dancer, right? Because right. like, I danced my whole life. Um, well, I shouldn't say my whole life. I danced until high school. Um, I think in high school, I didn't know what the hell I wanted to be. I was way too caught up in like being in high school, right? Being dating and partying and social situations and skipping school. And like, I was, I was just too caught up in that. I wasn't thinking about the future and that kind of stuff. And college saves it. Like I just had too many struggles with all that kind of stuff to be able to like really focus on like grow the fuck up. Um, I knew I in wanted college. Yeah. I think I always like, so dance, I think transformed into like, or morphed into like a performer. Cause I, but at the same time, I've always had this fear of like not being very good at, at that. Cause that's, that's a hard one, right? Like you truly are putting yourself out there in more ways than one. And so I don't think I ever really, I know I never really like really tried at any of those things. Like I would, the one time, like I have a strong memory in college of like the one time that they call, what they call open auditions, like the big auditions at the beginning of each semester or at the beginning of each year are called open cattle calls. Cattle call just meaning like we're all like cattle, one through, one through, one through, one through. And I remember this one year, I think it was maybe my junior year, I finally was like, hey, it is cool to give a shit. Of high school or college? College. Like I was, yes, there's certain things I feel like I was really stunted on, like maturity stuff. And so I feel like junior of, of college, I finally like was like, hey, it is cool. Like I should try. Like I, I know I'm not a good singer. But I don't think I'm as bad as I say I am because I'm also scared to try. So, like, this one particular catacol, like, I actually bothered to, like, sing in front of everyone and, like, had actually, like, rehearsed my monologue, right? Because then it was, like, if I failed or it wasn't good, I couldn't blame it on not, prepar like, preparing. Mm -hmm. So, and, but what was funny is for that particular one, I actually got more, like a more of a, and I didn't get any additional parts because of it. Like I always got like dance chorus and like mm. those types of things, but I did get an additional callback for a bigger part, which had never happened to me because I actually did okay. And that was just one of those things where I was like, see, like if I had been trying my whole life, like I, I there would definitely have been like more would have come out of different things. Right. Um, and kind of same thing with work. Like, I know there are different, like, in education, like, there are things I'm good at, and there's, you know, I have really good strengths with that, but it also depended on, like, who were my administrators, and if we really meshed, and, like, I would work at one job, and, like, within a year, I'm, like, director of special education for this school, and, like, the next year, because we move, I'm, like, I just have a self-contained class, and I felt like it was just such a step down, and I like, didn't want to try, and I don't know, I... I knew I always wanted to do something in performance and or art. Like, I've always loved visual arts, but I don't feel like... I feel like there's a big difference between someone that, like, has to create all the time and, like, has art within them versus me. I feel like I'm a good... Like, I enjoy art. I like to look at art. I love interior design. I love, you know, the idea of, like, fabrics and colors and so maybe even, like, fashion design. But it's not ever something, like, I felt so driven to do it that, like, I was going to do it no matter what. Mm -hmm. 
I don't, like, even right now, if I had the downtime, I'd probably just turn on Netflix instead of, like, oh, I have to craft and I have this mm. page on Etsy or something. Mm. Like, so I don't know. I mean, I, even in college, I would try to, like, rekindle that within myself, like, take a drawing class, and then I would, you know, it was, like, too early in the morning, so I just, like, stopped going. But didn't you already, didn't you already, like, weren't you already kind of fulfilling that uh, art drive or scratching that art itch because you were doing theater on a regular basis in college? No, because again, like I feel like I was always half-assing all of it. Right. So for me, it's all just to go back and like the stuff that I loved. If I had ever really, really tried at it, instead of like I'm going to surround my myself with the people that love to do it and keep myself at a cursory. I would love to have a bigger hand in it, but this is a safe space because I'm not really putting myself out there. If I had had more immediate success in it, if things had come like super, super easy. In those arenas, then I probably would have... Like, that's the irony, right? Like, if I had had the success to begin with, I probably would have put myself out more, and, like, that would have continued. Uh. But, like, when, once I got into, like, a bigger pond, and there's more competition with things, then I would try less. Got you. And yeah. I think that's just, like, that's just a fault in my personality and demeanor and kind of thing. I feel you. I mean, shit. My I... six-year-old now says things like, I don't ever want to do anything with competition. I don't want to... I don't want to take blah, blah, blah. I don't want someone to tell me what to do or I have to like and and she hasn't she hasn't verbalized this part of it but I know that part of it is I don't want to have to be told I'm not great at it right and I see and I see that even more so probably than my husband does because I know that that's something that probably comes from my personality right and I hate that and I like we were talking about that yesterday it's a lack of sports yeah it's a fear of of, of failure that's what I think really the value I, I question like Especially now because, like, I'm a 30-year-old man and I'm still – I've cut – I struggle with sports. I don't play them, obviously, nearly as much as I did, but I still follow them. No, that's not true. I follow them far less than I ever did. But I still follow, for instance, like, NFL really closely. And I often question, like, what, is, what am I doing here? Like, this seems like a, like a child's behavior uh, to follow sports. Um, and then I'll reflect – and I talked about this on the first podcast I did in this little series with Hunter. about like, dude, do you remember how much – Think about how much time we invested playing sports. Right. Like, do you wish we had done something, we had invested our time differently as children in some other productive way or non-productive way, just like being kids, whatever. But I do think there's a ton of value in sports and, like, lessons like that. Like, okay. I don't have yeah. any fear yeah. of, like, failing necessarily. I personally don't feel like I have a huge fear of failing or I often, I can recognize that, like, man, I'm going to give this a shot, but there's a good chance I'm going to take a loss here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I see that in uh, in people that didn't play sports or that there's like, you know, it's safer not to, to take that. Yeah, and I think some, I think I definitely think sports and, and, and just in involving yourself in things that are naturally competitive is probably one way. And I think another is, and I'm not faulting you, mother, but like to be told that you're wonderful and amazing no matter what. Mm -hmm. And then to expect success just innately. Right. When you really aren't trying that hard, right? Like right. that's like when I said, like, if I had experienced like, more success. If I had been given like Lady Macbeth out of the get-go freshman year, I would have probably been trying harder because I was like, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm really doing it. They like me. Mm. But instead, like my confidence started lower. I mean, I got a th scholarship. Like they obviously like me fine, but like that's also probably because I could still tap dance, right? Mm -hmm. And like how many people walk into their college and can tap, tap dance. dance right? And I knew that. Um, I don't know. I just... Yeah, that's an issue. I and especially, 
and you you bring that up fairly regularly and I'm glad you do and I've recognized it kind of on my own over the last maybe five years of my life in, in adulthood like you only enter this period I think at least for me personally in my late 20s now to turning 30 where like you ref, you have perspective on how you were raised and then you start to think about okay how I, how would I like to raise a family and in your case like you actually get the experience of doing it I think that's super important our mom constantly she's obviously a wonderful mom and I think it did a fucking fantastic job raising the three of us by ourselves but I do think that can be kind of a handicap to heap praise on your children constantly like you're the best you're mm-hmm. special you're beautiful you're awesome well I watched the Mr. Rogers documentary last week and people were saying like they, there was stuff like I didn't even realize this but like surrounding like there was like an uprising against Mr. Rogers claiming that like he created this generation of people like that like kids. I love you just the way you are. You know, that kind of thing. Like, you are special. And I like you. And it was like, hey, I'm great. Everyone likes me. I don't have to better myself. I don't have to change this behavior. I don't have to say please and thank you. Like, Right. I guess the other side of that coin is, it's like... I mean, if you are happy with yourself... Even if you are, like, not doing anything that's objectively or ostensibly, like, awesome or either making a ton of money or having some grand impact or whatever, if you, you know, are living what would look like from the outside perspective, like, a mediocre life, but you're super fulfilled and happy and you think you're the best, I think there's also, like, some value in that. For sure. And that's kind of, that's kind of where I am. Like, I am very comfortable in my own skin. I, I think we have a great life. I... I would parallel that to like religion, right? Like what is, what is the purpose of religion? I'm sure that that's, you know, everyone would have a different answer, but for like, for me, like ultimately I think it's like to, at least on earth, like it's so that you are a better person and like you're helping mankind, right? Like one of the best people that I know is my husband and he's like one of the least religious people that I know. Like you can be one without the other. Right. Kind of a thing. You can be a good person without having some sort of... Like a... uh, Yeah, like without having a religious belief system. Right. So, I I mean, there's more... I guess there's more ways than one to get to someone. Honestly, I think this... I think the... I think doing so without a religious belief system, without that, like, guiding principle is even more admirable. Because I've run into that, you know, I've worked... Me... You've worked in education a lot, too. I've worked in... Just a strong moral compass. Right. right. And so I think about that, especially with our younger sister, Morgan, who has continued this very altruistic, you know, line of work Mm -hmm. and has done all these amazing things of self-sacrifice and to help other people. And that was really my guiding principle, too, in the first half of my professional life was like, I just want to do as much as I can to sacrifice and help other people. Right? But with no religious underpinning to it whatsoever. And so I've worked in education... I've worked in the nonprofit world. You've worked in education, especially in special education, which is a, a pretty selfless uh, career path. And then obviously our younger sister's worked in all kinds of areas where she's sacrificing herself to help people less fortunate than her. And none of that has any religious basis whatsoever. And we've encountered a bunch of people who are in a similar line of work but are doing so in my mind in large part because they are being guided and motivated by like their ultimate salvation, which I think is less admirable than just doing it because you think that's like, you know, what a good person should do. You're not doing it to like avoid going to hell or to please like the heavenly father. No, I mean, honestly, I did it because I've always liked kids and I 
found that as far as educate, like I, I'd always worked daycares and things like that. And I never went into it going like, oh, someone's going to pat me on the back because this is a fairly selfless and giving occupation. Like it wasn't that at all. It was again, more of probably like, this is safer. I get summers off. I like kids. I'm good at art. So I could make some whip out some bulletin boards real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, special ed. Yeah, that's cool. I'll, I'll change some diapers, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, in fact, when people probably say things like, oh, it's so selfless, you work these really long hours during the week, like, and then point out all the flaws in the job, to me, honestly, my person, it probably makes it less desirable. Mm-hmm. I'm not like, oh, yeah, pat me on the back. I'm like, hey, wait, you're right. Yeah. I should be doing something else. Yeah. Instead of like, yes, I'm doing something altruistic. <laughs> yeah. The whole reason I got into education was the was what I thought was like altruistic reason. I felt like this is the most effective way to have a positive impact on the planet. Working in these low income areas, especially when I was teaching kids with, you know, severe behavior problems who were like kind of on their last chance of saving their lives essentially. I felt like, man, I'm doing this great work to help these kids and I think I did, but it was never because I enjoyed it or I enjoyed being around children. It was because I thought it was the most effective way to be a a good person, have a positive impact. Now but it's like at some point like the lack of enjoyment that I have spending that much time around kids versus the positive impact I think I'm having on the planet, the scales start to tip. And that's what happened in the last couple of years is like, holy fuck, I just don't enjoy this at all anymore. Mm-hmm. And like the, I hate to say novelty, kind of waning. And so now I feel like, fuck, I need to get out of this. Yeah. And I feel like I'm at this kind of, not crisis point, but this, this fork in the road point. I'm interested to hear your perspective on it. Where as a 30-year-old man, I'm trying to reflect like, wait a second, who am I really and what is it that I do want to do with my life because, and you touched on this earlier, I feel like a, a large part of the reason I got into education and to an altruistic line of work was because our mom instilled that in us from the jump. I feel like the message I constantly got from our mom, and it's a good one, I'm not, I'm not criticizing her is that what you should do with your professional life is earn enough money to support yourself but whatever you're doing to earn that money should be in a self-sacrificing way where you're helping people less fortunate Mm -hmm. than yourself Mm -hmm. and as soon as like i got over this kind of naive notion that i was going to be you know a professional athlete it seemed like the only professional guidance i had gotten I'm not, once again, I'm not placing any blame. It's just the message I, I internalized from my childhood was that like, you need to do something that is helping other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's awesome. I'm really glad I did it. But now that I've had that experience and I'm trying to project like, okay, I've got a long life ahead of me here, potentially, if I can, you know, keep myself alive that like, I need probably sustainably, I need, and for the long term, I probably should find something like I'm passionate about and enjoy doing ideally yeah. rather than just like grinding away every single day to like pull other help pull other people up out of a ditch and i have no idea what the fuck that looks like and if you're and if if your true passion and love is something that's altruistic great two birds one stone right but if your true passion is i don't know being a nail technician who the fuck like we need those too exactly i bite my nails they're awful like yes absolutely it doesn't I feel like it's like we have such stigmas on, and some of them are rightful, of course, but like we have such stigmas on like if it's not enough, like it swings the other way. Like, oh, you're just a salesman? Great. Yeah. Like, I don't know. 
Yeah, it seems to the the way my the way my philosophy on that has shifted over the last decade is that it went from the best way to spend your time on Earth is killing yourself to help others. Mm-hmm. It's done. I don't know if it's a total one eighty, but it's definitely shifted to where the best way to spend your time on Earth is to make yourself as happy and stable of an individual as possible because then you can exude that happiness and that tranquility with those in your immediate vicinity. Mm -hmm. And if you still have the energy and, you know, uh, self-actualization left over to do so, perhaps you can extend that beyond your immediate community and to, like, have a greater impact in the world. But if we all, if every single one of us as individuals here on planet Earth did our very best to focus on ourselves and make ourselves happy and self-actualized people, I think that's the most effective way for uh, all of us to like promote happiness and yeah. harmony. But and, we also and are middle-class Americans. Right. That's so easier have, said. We have the we have option. Yeah, right. we have the option to be all like, let me stop and think. Let me stay home with my kids. You know, that is a complete luxury, right? Right. At the reunion, talking to my friend, one of the first things I said, I said, what do you do? And immediately you could see like it was it was minute, but like a very subtle like sub shift in his facial expression, almost apologetic of like, oh, I just sell insurance or something like that. Something with insurance. And then like the next thing out of his mouth was like, but it enables my wife to stay home. It was like so he was saying like, so I don't do anything amazing, but like ultimately like for my family, it's the best thing. And I just wanted to be like. Dude, it's okay. Yeah, that's great. What yeah. if you're and like I just I don't th- honestly I, I, second level I don't think he loves it, right? right. But he kind of so he kind of probably feels stuck and like that's his way of being like, but this is the best thing for my family, you know? So like, right. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either. Here's a discussion I want to get into though. Okay, so let's take that as a perfect example because I, I think that's a good springboard from like a broader philosophical discussion I wanted to have in this interview. It's all right. Let's take that dude. Ten years ago, I would have looked at that dude in the judgmental way he's probably expecting people to look at mm-hmm. him. Like, oh, really, dude? That's what you do every day is wake up and sell insurance? My Now my perspective has completely shifted. Like I said, like if that's, if that's the activity that you have to engage in 8 to 12 hours a day in order to support yourself and your family, dude, there's nothing wrong with it. That's awesome. Yeah. Like... You, but he may not be happy in that. In, okay. But so he may feel a little bit stuck. But at the same time, if he finds enough fulfillment in the fact that he is making a good living, he is supporting his wife and children, they are able to have a nice home, a nice car, nice vacations. Like that may, still might be great. Right. Okay. Here's the issue, and I'm I'm just presenting this as a question. Okay. So I think like the best case scenario, glass half perspective of that dude's life which I think is you know the general template that the vast majority of people in this country follow and I would probably say the vast majority of people in the developed world, world follow I find a job I'm not super passionate about it necessarily but it supports myself and it allows me to start and support a family and secure both my and their future mm-hmm. right awesome here's my issue I find it almost unfathomable and maybe this is just me just being like too grandiose in my thinking I find it almost unfathomable that every single one of us has the exact same like template for what our ambitions and life goal and life path is 
how is it that every single one of us in the developed world, and it really seems around the world in general, our our individual ambitions from person to person is grow into adulthood, find a means of supporting ourselves, finding a mate, reproducing, raising that mate, and perishing. Because basically that... Well, from there, that seem, it seems crazy to me that every single person would have that exact same desire and we all do the exact same thing and there's no individuality or uniqueness amongst any of us. Is it, a, is it that everyone has that exact same desire or is it indoctrinated because of society's impalatable? Okay, yeah, well, then the, art and, well I, the opposite side of that coin, or I guess the same side of the coin, and I think you could use what I'm about to say either in favor and support of that mm-hmm. way of life or um, it, it, to, as a contrarian point of view to that way of life. Is that essentially that's the exact same thing that happened that has been happening since the inception of life as we know it, right? Going back to like the first multi-celled organisms, right? Mm-hmm. Who find a mate, reproduce, create young, and then support those young. I guess you'd have to go back to like mammals, right? right. Mammals find a mate, have young, and then spend their days gathering food and protecting and raising their young. And yet, essentially what we're doing is, you know, we devolved it from, from mammals into cave people or Neanderthals, early humans. You know, that's what we did. We woke up every day. We went and foraged or hunted to gain the food to go back and support our mate and our spouses. That's essentially what we're doing now. Instead of going out and waking up and going out in the forest and hunting and gathering, we're just waking up, going to a box, sitting in front of a computer, which is essentially just taking the form of hunting and gathering because you're just trading that time for food and the necessities to raise your family. So that would, it's, so you could make the argument. Right, I go and sit in front of a computer, which is exactly what I should be doing, because that's who we are as human beings on this planet. We're supposed to be hunting and gathering. This is just the form of hunting and gathering that that the world takes in modern society. The other argument would be, well, right, think how much we've evolved as human beings since then. Shouldn't we be taking the next step in our human evolution? We should, should be spending our days and our precious time here on Earth doing something that's of a higher evolution rather than just doing the metaphorical hunting and gathering by spending eight hours, eight to 12 hours a day, five days a week to gather the, to collect the resources in order to support ourselves and propagate the human species. Is there something more? So, and it's funny. It's really funny. You're talking about this. I mean, I kind of knew you were too, but like to piggyback off of that, like, so Tyson and I, last night, after the reunion, we spent a night in an Airbnb, and then the night after, so we, like, kind of hung out as, like, a eighth anniversary present to ourselves, like, without kids. We walked the Beltline in Atlanta. We did about 12 miles. We were laughing at ourselves at the end, because we're like, wow, our dogs are barking, like, our legs are tired, and then we were just, t- like, his knees been bothering him. And so we're, then we're talking about, like, wow. So the human body is really only in its prime from, like, 15 years, like, 18 to, like, you know, early 30s kind of a thing. And Right, the developed human body. Yeah, like, you're really, like, not in pain. Yeah, 20 to 35. Yeah, everyone's everyone's exception, right. There's always exceptions. There's some people born into pain and born into problems. But, but like, for the most part, like, our bodies, like, you know, biology is, like, 15, you got 15 good years max. Right. And then you just start to, like... So, so with modern medicine and, and you know, just evolution in general, like, we live so much longer. So now, things that were, like, you do, like, you grow up, you get married, you have kids, 
if you survived birth to begin with. Right. Because of modern medicine. And, the, you know, you work like a dog and then you die. Because that was it. Like, in order to complete, like, to actually have a human species to continue for, you know, uh, survival of the fittest. So now we have the luxury and also the necessity to be looking at, like, what else should and can we be doing? Because we're around a lot longer. Right. So maybe the go. So maybe then, like the template should be. Oh wait, I can't eat like shit because. <laughs> right, right. Fuck, right. I got seventy more years. Um, maybe the template should be the exact opposite. So my current theory that I'm developing. Once again, I think one thing that I've learned in over the last five years of my life, and that I'm continuing to learn as I'm doing this podcast series, which is essentially motivated by my desire to investigate. How am I supposed to be an adult? I'm trying to learn from the people that I like well, I know need best. I no help. I don't know what I'm going to do either. Well, okay, well, that's the biggest lesson that I've... I've learned two big lessons. Mm. One, from a romantic perspective, opposites attract. That's probably the biggest lesson I've learned from interviewing the people that I know and love the most in the world. I, I refer a, to Tyson and I as yin-yang all the time. And, and I'm, I've seen it time and time again with the most harmonious and happy romantic relationships amongst my family and friends is opposites attract. Two... That like no one has any idea what the fuck they're really doing. And because even as you, you have this idea when you're a child that like, oh, at some point I'm going to become an adult. The lights are going to turn on and I'm going to realize what it means to be an adult. The world is going to open up to me. I'm going to realize, oh, this is how you're supposed to live life. That doesn't exist. Yeah. Whether or not you're 18, 28, 58, 78, no one has any idea what the fuck is going on. Sure. They're all just kind of winging it out here. Which is exciting on one hand, but also daunting on the other. Absolutely. Uh, for, I don't know. For us, marriage truly is just an ultimate, like, the ultimate example of a, a partnership in every sense of the word. Right. Right? Like, I mean, whether it's, you know, he makes he makes the vast majority of the money and he works like a dog at his job, but I take care of our house. And, like, there's things that are, like, expectations and, like, all the, like we have a true give and take a true partnership mm-hmm. and we were talking about that yesterday like different people about like you hear so many people like I'm on my third or fourth marriage you know and like cel- let's we need to celebrate this one because like the first two were dog like maybe you shouldn't get married anymore right like why aren't you taking any ownership I mean I get it there's extenuating circumstances I don't mean to downplay that but at the same time like Who's making those choices? Right. Okay, so that to me would be a perfect example of like, dude, you are you are just following the the only template, template that has ever been set out for you, which is to get married, have a partner, reproduce with that partner, and die. And then they, even when you've experimented with that way of life and it's failed, in some cases that like you're saying multiple times, it seems like a lot of people don't have any idea of any other way to go. Yeah. So they just keep going back to the well that's poisoning them. But a lot of I mean, I think, though, human nature is to, for a lot of people, for most people, is that they don't want to live their life on their own. Right. Whether you fulfill that with a, you know, a partner, gender aside, or you fulfill that with surrounding yourselves with children and grandchildren, whatever it is, like, no one, for the most part, no one really wants to live a solitary life. Right. Society, societal constructs make marriage an expectation, but like I think that's changing. Just like I love being gay. Oops. Yeah. You know, like I think those are changing too. Right. 
I don't know. I think everything shifts, and I think there's even things that are just like generational, like what mall is cool right. for my generation, like then it's desolate for yours. Like there's just something. Like, yeah, it seems almost like just once again, I'm just throwing a theory out there, but it seems like okay, may the way I looked, I've looked at things is like okay, I need to wait as long as possible to reproduce, right? I've kind of accepted. I'm trying to like live my life in as um, I don't want to say like I'm making an effort to be contrarian, but I really am trying to take a step back, not just fall in line with this what I call this assembly line life that I've mentioned on the podcast a lot of times before. Like we're all born in this factory, we then pop out in this assembly line as we go through each of the stages of education, elementary, middle school, and high school. Those are all like little factories on the assembly line yeah, yeah. that like arm us with different like uh, advancements on the widget and gadget we are, and then. We pop out of the, we go to the ultimate big factory college, and that like really like upgrades our technology as this widget gadget we are. And then from there, we just have to stay on the assembly line, eventually hook up with another like little gadget and, and buy then a we brown make, house. Right, right, exactly. So, what I'm trying to do is like hop off the assembly line at this point in my life, not necessarily like run away from the assembly line and turn my back on it, but just kind of look at it and observe it and see, like, okay. Is, do I want to go that way? But at the same time, kind of keep my eye uh, around off the assembly line to see if there's other paths I can take away from the assembly line, see if there's other uh, means of living life. And so what's kind of guiding me right now, if I had any sort of plan, which I don't in the medium and long term, it would be, okay, I'm going to wait as long as possible to reproduce. But you also, so you have a double luxury. Let's just acknowledge that. You have the luxury of being a middle-class American with a supportive family. So when if you need to go out and, you know, quote-unquote, find yourself and jump off that assembly line and figure out what I the fuck you're doing. I have a constant do, safety net. You have a constant safety net. I'm not doubt. I'm saying that's awesome. Right. And then on top of that, you have this other one, this other, I'm a male. Right. I can wait as long as I want to reproduce. Right. Because you can't, like, the biological clock is real for women. Totally. Totally. I mean, my third pregnancy, I got to find out gender like eight weeks in, which is not like it's usually like 20 mm -hmm. um, because it was a quote unquote geriatric pregnancy. When you how old are you like early 30s, mid 30s, 35, 36, 36, so at 35 and older. You are you are you are termed a geriatric pregnancy. Like, and I get it. Like shriveled up. That, well, there's reasons. I mean, right. Like you're, it's astronomically more, you know, likelihood of chromosomal defects and blah, blah, blah. Like there's a reason, but like they could have picked a different term. That was arbitrary. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. So that, that lends even more credence to what I'm saying. What, what the point I was going to make, which runs counter to my life, life philosophy. You're absolutely correct that like, I'm incredibly fortunate in so many ways. The first of which is, like, I have the luxury of, like, pfft, taking a step back out of the real world and just, like, being a leaf in the wind because I have this loving, supportive family. If I ever needed, like, a, a, my floor is so high. Like, the my rock bottom would be uh, uh, someone with a graduate degree who at any time can go back and live in his mom's house who lives in suburban Atlanta and I could essentially get with perfect teeth. <laughs> I could essentially and 0% body fat. <laughs> and I could get I could immediately get a job that could easily support myself if not another person. Mm -hmm. Right? That's my floor. 
my floor, my rock bottom is what the majority of the global population would like sacrifice appendages for. Yeah, but you also have to put in your your mental health too. I mean, right? I guess I've you know I guess the counter argument will be well, well you know I've paid the price for that in some extent. Like I've overcome I've overcome some obstacles with my mental health to like sure. get to this point. But at the, I, like I said, I wasn't. I, I'm not saying like you're on easy street. I'm not. Wasn't saying no. That but I, I think just, it's it's interesting because those are guiding principles. Like. I remember when I dated, my, like, my boyfriend before my husband, and again, we've been together 10 years, so a million years ago, but my boyfriend before my husband was five years younger than me. Even when I was in my mid-20s, that idea was in my head of, like, holy cow, this dude's still in college. By the time he's going to want to have kids, like, am I going to have to wait an extra five years? And he's going to have to come, like, what if, like, He's like you and didn't really want to have kids till he's 40. Like, that's not going to work. Like, those were right. things that were already in my head. Yeah. Dude, that was a big thing with the relationship that I that's just got a- out of. Like, kind of my only real relationship that I've ever been in. And real, it was, like, very off and on for my, uh, you know, my fault that it was all the times that I was off. But, you know, I was with this girl for the past three years, basically. And we never, ever really had a conversation where we sat down. Or like, where is this going? Or like, what's the long-term vision for this thing? And so it wasn't until like uh, towards the end of this last most recent breakup where we sat down. I was like, where is this thing going over the next like, you know, long term? And she said to me like, oh, listen, I I would like to have kids, you know, within the next five to seven years. And that was the first time I ever realized like, oh, shit. Like, I'm instantly tied to someone here. My life decisions are affecting her life decisions. And it was the first time it ever came real to me. Like, I love this person. If I want to be with this person, I need to start making decisions that in line with her vision as well. Yeah. And in five to seven years, she's going to be in her early to mid-30s. And like you said, there is a biological clock. And so that really kind of lit a fire under my ass. I was like, fuck, I am in nowhere near mm-hmm. that place. Like... I need to go off and like do some crazy shit in order for me to right. be ready for that. And that, that goes back to that true timeline. partnership piece. And if you can get there and if she can get there and the give and take, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously having kids, I would hope would be a more important decision than whether or not, you know, I really want a dog, right? right. Obviously. Um, you know, for me, do I love living in kind of the middle of nowhere suburb in Illinois? No. Would I love to live somewhere else? Yes. Would Tyson probably love to live somewhere else? Yes. Is his job where he is? He's not going anywhere? Yeah, like so we make like we make our right. we make our happy there. Like it's not perfect, great, but it's awesome. Right. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, sow your wild oats, dude. Okay, okay, good. I'm glad you said that. So like that was has been my guiding principle in recent years. Like I need to sow my wild oats, but I have come to this recognition going back to like. You may the, also have to find out that like it's not it's not a temporary right. It's not something that like. There's a difference between, like, the dude that, like, was, like, the party animal in college, but is still the party animal at, like, the weddings. Mm-hmm. And, like, okay, when's that, you know, like, we're all grown out of that, right? Like, we're all into the everyone's getting married stage, everyone's getting pregnant stage. Like, it's time for you to grow up part. You may have, you may very well just not be on that assembly line. Right. Okay. You won't be the first, you won't be the last. Well, I've kind right? of come to, I've come to terms with that, that I'm definitely not on that assembly line. Mm-hmm. However, I have recognized going back to like, this is what life is. This is what it means to be a multi-celled organism. This is what it means to be a mammal. This is what it means to be a human being. I have 
come to terms with the fact that like, I do want to reproduce. I think having children is like this very essential part of the human experience and I couldn't imagine not having that experience. I couldn't, um, that seems like the ultimate in what it means to be a human being and I just know I have to have a part in that. Like I have to experience that. I couldn't imagine leaving this earth without having done that. And it's uh, and it, for very selfish regions in large part. Like that's created in my image. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, it just seems like what it means to be alive. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, I agree. I, I mean, yes, absolutely. I feel like kids having children. If I didn't have children in my life, I feel like I would be really unsettled in many areas. Right. Oh, fuck. But they're yeah. so grounding. I mean, I'm off the rails now. I couldn't imagine how off the rails I would be or like be in a few years if I didn't have at least this ultimate vision of sometime within the next decade or two of procreating. Yeah. But my th- philosophy is, has been, all right, I'm going to put, I'm going to put this off for as long as possible. And you have to be willing to, to understand that you are going to very likely sacrifice relationships or potential relationships by doing that. If you're not willing to compromise on the, that timeline. Right. When I'm kind of, uh, and, but a new theory, I, this ship is kind of sell for me, but I want to put it out there to the listeners. Maybe the best route would be like reproduction is such an essential part of life. If that is something that you want to engage in, I feel like that is engage. a very essential. <laughs> engage in reproduction tonight, baby. <laughs> like maybe you should get that done as soon as possible. Like that's old life. That's old, like existence on Earth. For sure. Get that. Get that shit done as soon as possible. But now, like you said, with advancements in modern medicine and, and, and technology and things like that, we do have the second part of human existence that it doesn't seem like anyone has any idea of how to do. It seems like the only way that we figured out how to do this second part of life because we're just going to be alive so long is just save up to enough money where like you just kind of retire out. and. And chill. And go nuts decorating your house for Halloween. Exactly. For several decades until you die. Maybe what we should start doing as human beings is knock out the reproduction part as soon as possible. Get that, like, old world experience down. Old earth experience down. Then then you're going to get into the fact that now we over-educate ourselves. So then the problem is is if you're going to have your kids right away, no one has any money if they're like right out of high school, right? Because like we want to go to college for seven years. Right. It seems like maybe we should not go to school, just learn how to like survive as human beings. Learn basic trades that no one knows anymore. Oh yeah, just like how to Mm -hmm. feed ourselves and stay healthy. Have some kids like as soon as we become fertile, like at 14 Get those kids out of the house, like, at the end of our physical prime. But the problem is, if you have kids at 14, then you're going to have all these 30-year-old... Like, you'll be a 30-year-old grandpa that you'd be like, get out of my house! Yeah. Uh, I'm just throwing theories out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of life. Shot because down. Because where I'm, where I'm at now is, like, my kids aren't going to be out of the house until I'm, like, 70. Right, but... At least we talked about like you're not giving up that physical prime years. Right. Okay, that's the other side. To the to the sleepless nights. Right. The fatigue, the fat ass because you can't get to the gym because right. every time you go to the gym and you put your kid in the daycare, they come back with RSV and then you're in NICU <laughs> for ten days. Like. Yeah, I mean that's my that's 
Yeah, that's kind of the 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 my guiding philosophy no, now. I, it's like yeah. I'm going to capitalize on my physical prime. It's like when's the right time to buy and sell a house? When's the right time to have a kid? Well, it depends. It depends on like how early you're successful. It depends on how long you want to be in school. It depends on how much school debt you have. It depends. There's never a perfect time for anything, but right. I do think that I do think that like waiting until at minimum again over generalization, but at minimum waiting till your 30s, you at least had some fun. Hopefully, right. Right, and again, for a girl, it's a little bit more complicated, obviously, mm-hmm. and especially if you maintain a relationship with someone that you met in high school or college or thereafter that was a similar age. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know plenty of people that had them early and bemoaned like missing their twenties, but are now like sucker. Yeah, my, you know, mine's a sophomore. Right. Yours is in <laughs> kindergarten. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And now I have the money to really have fun. Right. As opposed to, like, you had fun when you were 21, but what was your fun? Right. What was it? Paps and pizza? Right. Like, I'm going to Italy. Right. And then I'm going, you know, so it's different. Yeah. And I, I've gotten to the point, I used to be super judgmental. It's so stupid to be judgmental in your 20s because you just don't know anything about life. Right? So I used to be judgmental about shit like that. Now I've gotten to this point where like, dude, I'm not fucking judging anyone. I have no idea what the fuck is going on out here. Well, and you I'm never trying... feel older. Right. Like, there are certain yes, things. Yes, that's like, a great point. There's never, like, there's certain things that are, like, completely, like, undetectable that, like, I know that, like, my 20-something-year-old self would have reacted differently. Like, yes, I have definitely matured in certain ways. Certain ways, I'm still super immature, right? Like, especially compared to my husband. But you never really feel older. So, like, I look at kids now, they, like, we saw high schoolers when we walked, we did our high school tour. They look like, in my mind, they look like they're, like, 10. Right. And in their mind, I look 90. Right. And they feel so old and mature. But, like, it's so weird to me to think that, like, I'm almost 40, which that used to sound like dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you don't feel, you still. I don't feel it. I still, like, I literally, I picked up some shoes when we were, sh- like, just, like, window shopping the other day. And I was like, am I too old to wear Vans? <laughs> because, like, another thing, too, I feel like a lot of people get stuck. Like, you'll see people, like, do you ever see, like, no, that old think... lady that still wears, like, s- like clothes from the 70s? Yeah. And she's not being, like, like, revival hip and trendy. She just, like, that was the decade that she was in her prime. Right. And she felt the most comfortable. Those are the clothes that make her feel beautiful. Like, mom in her dress for her birthday, right? Like, right. you get... So, like, for me, I, I loved wearing, like, ironic 80s stuff because I love the 80s. Right. But, like, you well, just... <laughs> that's what I would advise people to do is go off how you feel. Yeah. Not, like, how, how you think it... Like, other people are going to view you or by abiding some rule that you think society has dictated. So, to take the shoes instance... Like, if you see the shoes and you feel like, oh, damn, I want to wear these shoes, my advice to people would be, like, wear the fucking shoes because something is resonating within you at a feeling level to wear those shoes. Right. And you know me well enough. Like, if I was Well, I know you personally, but I don't think the general population would think that way. I think the average person would think, nah, I can't wear these shoes. Like, I'm almost fucking 40. I can't wear Vans. Like, what are people going to think with a 40-year-old wearing Vans? But I... I think people should just listen to what how it's resonating within their physical being. Like right. those vans, like is that hitting you at some like I don't know, uh, like amorphous place inside you? Like oh that would be cool. Then yeah, buy the fucking vans and wear the vans. I don't know if it was hitting me at an amorphous place. I just was like, 
too. Those are like dark denim Perfect. high tops. Hell yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. All right, let's talk about your experience more specifically. At what point, so take me through your evolution as going back to like you just referenced yourself in high school. Did you want to start a family in high school? I feel like I remember at some point. Probably not in high school. I had probably said, I would have probably said no in high school, but probably down deep, I probably always knew I was going to have kids. At what point did you know that like, this is what I'm going to do? I want to have kids in my 30s. Like, I want to live this life. At what, did you know that in college? I don't think I knew it in college, no, but I think just like, kind of like, progressively, progressively after college, I guess I, for the most part, was on a trajectory trajectory of like, being exposed to more adult behaviors, you know, uh, popular, like, I mean, I was, you know, I was working. I was working at a Catholic school, very much surrounded by married people and families and mature behavior, less partying, things like that. And I still, like, I still revolted against that in my in my private life. But it was still something that, like, I saw and I saw it happy and functioning. And, you know, and I was really good friends with a lot of those people. And then going to the city and, and like once I met like Tyson's is such a Tyson's such a hard working person such a level headed person like he'll he'll drink and party with the rest of them like he hates me to tell this story but like we were at not that I mean probably seven years ago we were at one of his friend's weddings and he got so wasted he just started eating a beetle <laughs> <laughs> like and this is somebody who's in their 30s or no maybe like thir- yeah yeah in their 30s He's eating a beetle, right? But he's, like, one of the most mature, quote-unquote, like, he probably, like on the assembly line in terms of, oh, like, for sure. what he wants to life. He's the definition, yeah. He's the definition of, like, a responsible adult. Yes. A responsible, mature, conventional adult. He is the definition of it. Thousand percent. Good segue. Because I want to talk to you about the concept of marriage. For me, your- if I didn't have a husband who was the poster child for mature adult... I would, I don't know where I would be. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. The biggest lesson I've learned is opposite of And my emotional health. Right. Yeah, yeah, Because you are the exact opposite. I think if you were on your own. Every relationship it, I had had up to that point were people that were much more I like-minded. That, I had that on my, on my, on my prep notes is that you went from, and this will segue into the broader conversation about marriage, but growing up, I remember your boyfriends were there always were exceptions, like, but yeah. Eccentrics, mm-hmm. eccentrics, or at the very, if they weren't in like theater and like kind of constantly putting on, like I feel like they're, I was like, who are you thinking about? Thinking about like Daniel. Yeah. I'm thinking about like, I don't Charles. know. Charles. Charles. Like funny, like characters. Mm-hmm. Um, or at the very least, like outgoing personalities. Right minded people, very more, much more like liberal. Very much like you. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Obviously, none of those worked in the long term. And all of a sudden, the first person, boyfriend I ever met of yours, I was like, whoa, this guy came out of fucking left field. (laughs) This guy's unlike any of the people she's already dated. That's the one you ended up marrying. But, But now, as I have my own peer group getting married, I see the exact same shit. Like, when I met their now wives when they were girlfriends, I thought the same thing as when I met your husband. 
like, the fuck is this? This is the this person is nothing like you whatsoever, but yet those are the people they ended up marrying. So there's this there's this yin and yang as you say. Right, like he grounds me and I push him. Right. So, and the only successful quote unquote success definitely not successful. The only sustained relate <laughs> romantic relationship I've ever had is someone that is literally the exact opposite of me. Yeah. So there's value in that. My broader question. Because I've established that in, in like every podcast episode thus far. My broader question, the concept of marriage in general, mm-hmm. it goes back to the the commentary I was making earlier. Like, what are we doing here with marriage? It seems like none of us are thinking outside the box here. How is it that every single one of us to a person is uh, manifesting and embodying our romantic love for our partner in the exact same way. None of us is thinking outside the box in this. None of our rela- our long-term relationships are taking any other form than like codifying this relationship up beneath the auspices of a religious institution or in um, on the government. I didn't understand government. half of the words that you just said, but what I will say is that whether or not whether or not it's a common law or a, or a you know a religious marriage or a civil like what whatever it is, I don't think it matters. Is like, are are you arguing just the, are you arguing the sanctity of marriage? Are you arguing like just the institution of monogamy? Um, all of it kind of rolled into one because it doesn't seem like there's any nuance amongst it. It all is rolled into one package. It's the sanctity of marriage with the monogamy. With the, we're doing this under, we're signing a paper that is, we're signing a government paper, like we're creating yeah, a contract again, like with so the government. Yeah, but again, so many people take that pretty flippantly. I mean, albeit like... But they the still divorce, do it. They still do it. But why? Probably just because it's like more socially acceptable and and they think okay. more tax shelter. That's what I'm asking. Easier I'm not like, than... I'm, this is, I'm, right, like, well, they're like, I was probably just going to live, I'm, fi- I'm also fine with just living with this person, but then if I'm not married to him, I have to go through my day-to-day life explaining... Or feeling the need, maybe, like the insurance story, like feeling the need to maybe explain that we're not married, but that's just because we don't, like, societal pressure, right? Okay. I mean, like, Ty and I, like... I'm literally just asking. I'm not no, criticizing. I get, no, absolutely. I've gotten to the point with this... And I really want to keep making this point because I definitely know... Uh, people listening to this don't necessarily know this about me, but the people I'm interviewing, I think, know this about me, that I have been in the past, like, once again, like, contrarian and critical... I don't want to be that person anymore. I still want to constantly think critically. I think that thing that's never going to change, but I don't want it to be a judgment. Well, I think it, I, really, I... I really want to just be like asking the question yeah. and getting other people's perspectives. So that's the question I'm asking. Why do it? I'm not saying you're stupid for doing this. You're you like you're a drone, you're a robot. Think differently. I'm just asking like, okay, if it means nothing to you, if this contract with the government means nothing to to you, Well, if that's you're leading not, by saying it means nothing. Well, you, I was just going off what you said. People do it flippantly. No, I was just going to say a lot of people get divorced flippantly. I, I guess what I'm saying by that is I think that they think that it means something. Whether they're caught up in like like a, like a honeymoon period or whatever, like super romantic or whatever. And like getting married, like it's this for girls. A lot of it's like, oh, like it's a validation, right? So I finally got someone to get down on their knee and look at my ring and all that kind of stuff that we like. Are, again, like it's societal too, but like the shopping, like they want that experience. Okay, mm-hmm. you want the experience okay. of like yeah. and the like 
feeling valued and the party and the dress and the honey, like all that kind of stuff. That's the scary part to me. That's what gets scary because that just seems like very short-term thinking. Right. That's what I'm saying, though. Like that to me, all these people that are getting like to be on like your fourth. Like I had people at my high school reunion that were on their third marriage at 38. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, dude. Just throw in the towel. This is not that's for you. An ex- that's experiential. There's no way that, like, you're really taking it that seriously. Right. Yeah. Once again, just a thought exercise. Mm-hmm. Especially with a husband like you have, who is a responsible, mature adult who you can count on, who you could look in the eye and take him at his word. Just asking. Why couldn't you just be like, all right, this has been going pretty well for the past few years. Doesn't seem like any of us have any desire to, like, be away from each other. We want to reproduce, which means we're going to need to be together for an extended period of time here to raise some happy and successful children. Like, so we're going to do this forever? Like, yeah, we're going to do this forever. Handshake, right, right. Handshake, let's do this forever. You could. You totally could. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like there's certain things that are, a lot of them are, a lot of them are societal pressures, right? Like, for us... We had no problem with the idea and commitment of marriage. Just like we would have had no problem just saying, like, yeah, we're in this. Like, this is it. But it's also comforting to know, like, truly, if both of you are willing to go through with that or whether it was a commitment ceremony that wasn't a legal marriage, whatever, that, like, it's reassuring to each other that, like, yes, you are truly both in it, right? Right. Um, You also don't have to then get pushback from your great grandma that she had to tell her friends that you had kids and you're not married and explain that and whatever I mean we even had a conversation about my last name Mm -hmm. where he wanted me to take his last name and it had never been an open dialogue and somehow it came up pretty close before the wedding and his reaction surprised me because he's such a even keel guy Mm -hmm. to you know to where like he was visibly like upset like I just assumed you would and I was like, uh, no. And, and it wasn't that I hadn't thought about it. Again, that's still the norm, grossly the norm. But for me, I grew up with a hyphenated name. And the act of thinking on that for me was Clark is my mom. Clark was who I was raised, and that's who I identify with. Keen is my dad. I identify it, but that's not... Like, if I were going to have to drop one, because I certainly wouldn't add a second hyphen... <laughs> And be Clark Keen Mortimer. So if I was going to have to drop one, it would be Keen because of how I identify. Totally. And I didn't, I wasn't willing to essentially do that to my father. Yeah. Which I don't honestly at this point, I think he probably had more of Tyson's views. He probably thought I was nuts to keep my name because he's such a traditionalist. Right. So he probably was ironically mad that I didn't take Mortimer. Right. In some degree. And... That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Um, I had it on the list of things to talk about, but it's, it, it yeah, is we're a whole ba- other podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole other podcast. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but, like, in, like, Ty, and again, like, we were in the moment, but he said something to the, and, and I get it, like, when I look at it very calmly, like, in retrospect, but he said something like, well, then, I said, you know, I said, like, I'm not going to take your name, and he was like, well, I bought you the ring. And I was like, what? Like, I literally, I remember I was in the car and my feet shot like out at the dashboard. Like, oh, you bought me, huh? But what he, I think, maybe he's, maybe that's what he meant. I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but what I think ultimately, and again, it was a reaction. 
like I get something out of this too. Like you got a, a yeah. very expensive ring or whatever. But what I think he more meant was like, wait, that was traditional. Like you expected right, me right, right. to buy you something. You expected me, the man, to propose. Right. Why are you picking and choosing traditions? Right. Essentially. It's a, it's a valid point. Yeah. It was communicated poorly, in my opinion. <laughs> right. Yeah. It didn't come off the best in the moment. Um, how has your experience been? Well, let's start with marriage. Okay. Like, is it what you anticipated it being? You've been married now eight years? Yes, I've been married eight years last week. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I guess I don't really remember. Like, you get so far into something, too, that, like, you can't really even remember, like, what... Like, I wish I had journaled in my life, you know? Right. Like, to, like, <laughs> what did my 25-year-old self think? And, like, you so you could read back and laugh at it. But um, there's definitely certain things about it that are way more, like... mundane but I don't know if that's necessarily mar marriage in general or if that's just like the life we've created and, and it's out of necessity because I am a stay at home mom with three small children you know right. and that sameness is actually what really small town yeah but marriage for us and I don't want to speak for him but for me our marriage isn't hard like I mean there's definitely things that we can improve on and I think that we should improve on but I also don't feel like you have to find I feel like a lot of people expect to find like all or, or most of their fulfillment from just their partner right and that's not that's never been something that I think is uh, should be an expectation like we talked about like my past boyfriends being much more like me and ties different well then okay so then those aspects of my personality I fulfill by you know seeing those similarities in my children and you know bouncing off of that with them as opposed to my husband necessarily because uh -huh. we have similar views and things you know like right. or friends that I have and or my family so I don't know I mean I again I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that think that you have to get like the majority, and I, Tyson is my best friend, for sure. But there, you get other things from other people too. Right. You're not like in a bubble, right? I feel like when I look at marriage, I just I definitely want to have kids. It's it's a really nice sense of security. Okay, Do, can yeah. you get that outside of again the traditional going through all the the checkpoints of marriage yeah I think absolutely you can and I think there's a million people out there that do it but I still think that security ultimately just comes down to a truly committed relationship and a true partnership because that's what it is right because you take away the honeymoon period and like we have issues like like with like sex right like I especially pregnant pre -preg like pregnant post-pregnancy my 30s body image having babies sleep deprived like for women, it's and just women in general and hormones, like it's super different. Uh -huh. So we've had those conversations, and my husband again, it's really hard for him to have those conversations. It's really hard for him to have a lot of conversations in general. So like, our talking about those, but they're for the most part, they're pretty. We're, we 
we're pretty calm when we have these conversations. Um, but you're initiating these conversations, I No, imagine. like he will sometimes, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah, for sure. I would say probably it is him because he's the one in those situations who wants for something. Right. And I'm the one that in those situations who's like... So, like, we even, like, that even came up yesterday when we were having those conversations about marriage and divorces and all that kind of stuff. And I said something about, like, um, I can't remember the segue, but it was something like, well, and a lot of women, you know, are not that interested in, in sex, especially, like, once you get into, like, those stages in your life. And he's like, hey, don't project that on all women. And I think he wants to believe that that's not really the case. And I was like, dude. Do you think maybe who do you think has more conversations with married and or women with children in their 30s and up about this topic? You or me? And he's like, oh, that's a good point. I'm like, right. I will go ahead and tell you right now with absolute certainty that the majority, I'm not saying 99 percent, but the majority of those women have a distinctly lower sex drive than their husbands. Than their husbands. And... I would speculate to say, again, varying levels, that's an issue at some point or through pervasively throughout the marriage. Interesting you bring that up. Something I'm noticing in my uh, stage of life currently, so let's say like this, uh, generally speaking, this late 20s, long-term boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, mm-hmm. my personal experience and the conversations I've had with my male friends in this stage of life and, okay. and these and, and these romantic arrangements is the opposite. So this is pre-child, commit, solidified okay. adults, committed long-term romantic relationship. The girls are constantly wanting to fuck and the guys are like, ugh, come on. Do they want a baby? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm just throwing that out. I don't know. I don't we are all it. about it if we have an end goal. Right. It doesn't. I don't think the actual act. I, the actual act is not. I want a baby. Like it's not like I want to have sex. I want to have unprotected, no birth control sex because I want to get pregnant. I'm wondering that you brought that up. Is it like some sort of deeper biological drive? Mm, yeah, maybe. But it's not. It's no. Well, and, it, and again, like for me personally, I think there's. I think there's stuff like in our, like in my DNA, like generationally, like I, like. Like mom, Toadie, like there's a lower sex, there's a hormonal shift, and I think that's that is like our family specific with the right. females. Uh, that that's a little different, but that's interesting too. I've, I would say no, they don't want a baby because I'm thinking about I'm thinking about my my personal experience. No, my romantic partner did not want to have a baby by any means. It wasn't on the radar at all. But constantly want to have sex, and I'm like tired. Like okay, <laughs> like kind of what this respective like it kind of feels like that same mindset you're saying during like this mm-hmm. whole like pregnancy mid thirties period. And I have conversations with my friends who are not married in these committed romantic relationships in their mid to late twenties, and it's just they just say the same thing, like God, my girlfriend constantly have sex, and I just like can't keep up. But have you had that conversation with friends that have been already married? No, I haven't had many conversations. The reason I about say that is like I feel like sometimes too, and again I don't want to project this on the girls, but and it may not even be conscious, but there may also be this thing of like, I gotta really sell this car, like I gotta really sell myself as like someone they would want to marry, someone they would want to uh, like. Look you. at me, I'm, I'm, I'm down like a clown. Right. I'm ready to go. Right. That's a good point. 
once that commitment was true and they were comfortable and like this is like for the long run that might change right that's a good point it's not it's that's a really that's, good point i need to bring that up i, I sound it i sound way like it's way more manipulative than it is but we and we all sell ourselves in certain mm-hmm. areas and things like I remember Ty- I said something to Tyson because he's a slut. His car is nasty. It's just filthy. Mm-hmm. And I said something like, I don't understand. Like, when I met you, your car was, like, gorgeous. He's like, I got it clean the day before, like, we went out. <laughs> and I was like, you, what? Right. Like, that's false advertising. He's like, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. it's a good point. I thought about that. I need to have that conversation in my future pods. Like, hey, your girlfriend caused what the fuck for you. I got married. Now you got married. Did she, like, pull the plug? Could be. It depends on if they're trying to have a kid. No, I mean, like you're saying, it could be like she's trying to sell herself as a long-term partner. Right, but I'm saying you will have love. So, like, I'm saying, like, it's... Oh, um, yeah. yeah. She could keep it up if she wants to have a kid. Yeah, but if they decide, like, verbally, like, they decided before or after, like, we're going to wait three years. Like, the guy's like, dude, I, you know, I, like, yes, we, let's go ahead and get married, but, like, I'm making this up. But, like, I want to wait. I, I think we should wait, like, two or three years before we have a kid. They may see a dip, right? <laughs> if she yeah. knows, like, nothing's going to come in. Yeah. That's no point, then. Yeah, I got you. Speaking of having kids, how is your experience... Talk about your experience having kids. I know it's a really general question, but... I don't know. Talk about the highs and lows, pros and cons of that. You're going to have to empty, uh, edit a lot of this. No, this is not. my. The average pod goes about two and a half hours. But you're not going to run them two and a half, are you? Probably. Wow. Uh, my experience having kids? Yeah, like, what's, like, take, I don't know, talk about the, the, what that means for you personally. Like, have, have those been the happiest moments of your life, but also the scariest times? So having children means that you now, I mean, like, and it's this, I'll use the cliche, but mostly I'll use the cliche because I don't have a better way to explain it, which is, like, your heart literally is now living outside your body. And for me, it's in multiple... I've never heard that cliche. Really? It's in multiple little beings all over the place. And you live in an absolute constant fear that anything would happen to them. It does get... Sounds awesome. Sounds awesome, man. It (laughs) does get... state of fear. You are. (laughs) And it waxes and wanes like any fear, like any like... I don't know, like if you, you just lost someone, like any pain, any breakup. Like it does, you know, it has its peaks and valleys. But you are. You're in a constant state of fear. Sometimes that fear is a more overarching, like, I'm going to fuck them up. But usually it's just like that anything would happen Like they're going to gonna get hit by a car. Yeah. Right. Their personal safety. Yeah. Right. It's not like, oh, they got to be a doctor. I, I mean, they can be a stripper clown. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I just made up a new occupation. Um <laughs> I got. A, I had a kind of a question about that. That's awesome. You said that. That's like a terminal eighteen-year-old, right? Like happy birthday, stripper clown. We got you a stripper clown. Um, but yeah, it's amazing. It's also exo- like being a house. So it's the highest of the high and the lowest of the low because that's kind of what I anticipate. Yeah, I mean, it's like that's like you said. Like I feel like that's like the the epitome of like what it means to be alive, and it is. Like, that's, that's what life is, right? It's the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. And we put up with all the middle and all the horrific because of those highs, right? We're always chasing those moments. You never know, like, you're having the time of your life until it's over. You know, you, you look back and you're like, that, that was it. 
um, or those moments. But Seems like that's an argument in, in favor of marriage, right? Because that is life. Life in general, pre-marriage, post-marriage, whatever. It, life is these highs and lows, right? You're riding these high. It's a roller coaster. You got these super high periods of life when you're really happy. You got these really low periods of life when you're really low. And it seems like maybe the secret to, you know, being a stable person is like trying to maintain some sort of like um, equilibrium amongst the highs and lows. Like when you are experiencing the real high, don't let yourself get like carried away by the super highs. When you are experiencing the really lows in life, don't let yourself get bogged down by the real lows. And it seems like. An argument in favor of marriage would be like you do have this rock, this stability relationship to kind of keep you grounded, right? When you're super high, you still have this constant stable partner to help keep you grounded. When you're really low, you have the constant stable partner to help keep you grounded well. But once again, as I'm saying this, I'm just constantly thinking. Then the counter argument would be to, as I'm thinking about it, and I think this is more where I am right now, is like before I ever place myself in that position, um, in a committed relationship like that, I want to at least attempt to develop the ability to do that myself, right? I want to be confident in my ability to experience the highs, but not like go manic. And I want to have experience with the lows and not like be suicidal, right? Yeah, I want to develop think- that ability to maintain a self-actualization and a psychological and emotional equilibrium prior to being like, all right, you want to do this with me? Yes, I... I, I- any any long standing true partnership it wouldn't be something that the in my mind like it wouldn't be something that is like tr- like a true dependence i think there's a difference between a partnership and a dependence dependence okay could i but don't you need could to- i function in society and be a happy person and figure it out if i had to without ty yes do I think my life is better because of him and enriched? Absolutely. Do I think that there are things that maybe I would be crazier about and have more experiences on if he wasn't around? Yeah, probably. Um, do, would he have more money in the bank if I wasn't around? A thousand percent. You know, I mean, there's... Uh, Seems like maybe both of your highs would be higher, but your lows would be lower. Like if you were going to... Yeah, maybe. I mean... Uh, And, you know, then, but then you go back to like, okay, if you talk about experiences in your life, like, right, like what, what things do you have most of your memories about? Do you have most of your memories about like your Monday through Fridays waking up your mundane? Like, sure, we all do have like childhood memories of like the normalcy, but like most, most human memory is based off of like exceptions, right? Like trips Mm -hmm. and trauma and the highs and the lows. Mm-hmm. So there's, I mean, and again, like for you, for another counter argument would obviously be like our our art and our beauty and our genius comes from the highs and the lows, comes from the people who live outside the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, would we still have those if everyone, if we did, if, if everyone was on the same trajectory or whatever? Um, I will say this. But I, wait one second. I but I do think it's possible to have some of that, if not all of that, and still have a functional marriage. Right. Ironic that I'm saying this because I do agree with you when you reflect back on like these moments in life, you do remember the highest highs and the lowest lows. However, 
when I reflect back on like the totality of my experience on earth, I kind of look at it like these periods, maybe this is just me personally, mm-hmm. these periods of like sustained happiness and these periods of sustained depression <laughs> in my life or sustained like psychological yeah. distress. And the periods of sustained happiness, and obviously I'm don't have the experience of being married, but my my periods of sustained happiness are marked by having stable, loving relationships. Sure. Be they friendships or romantic relationships or even just familiar, like uh, like a close bond with family. My period, when I reflect back on my, and that doesn't mean like I was out partying with my girlfriend or me and my best friends are going wild partying all the time or going on these crazy trips. It's just like, no, when I think back of like some of the times happiest in my life, it's like, Man, I really had a really good roommate during this, you know, mm-hmm. year or semester in college. And nothing was crazy. Nothing was particularly unique. We, I was just waking up and going to class every day. But, like, you know, I, things were stable. Things were good. I felt, you know, like I was accomplishing things. And I had good people around me. Um, so that seems like that would be an ar- argument. Yeah, I mean, that's. I'm sure that's the same as, like, a drug addict, right? Like, if we had Harrison sitting at this table. Like, somebody that would say, like, it depends on who you surround yourself with. And... The kind of people and the vibe and the uh, the drive of the you know yeah absolutely I think that one thing I wanted to ask you in terms of like you were just saying like this, yours is more periods do you have more and or stronger memories from the happy or from this like darker darker by far really yeah huh. by far like more I'll, like, like vivid 80, stuff twenty interesting. No, not vivid, just like I'm thinking like the composition of my life experience. Oh, okay. You say, okay, okay. I would say I, 80% like psychological distress, 20% like I'm stable, I'm doing this. I don't feel like I, I'm drowning. Okay, that's interesting. That's that's not exactly what I was asking. I was asking more like the actual memories, like specificity of the memories. Oh, of highs and lows? I'd probably say... If, into, oh yeah, okay, okay. So like, com- I remember what I was wearing, or like what the this smelled yeah. like. That yeah, composition-wise, like, like overview composition-wise, like 80-20. Memory-wise, like experiences and shit like that, I would probably say fifty-fifty. Like fifty-fifty. I was in Costa Rica with this chick, and we were both like tripping on X. Is that a happy? Be, that's a high. <laughs> <laughs> you look super pumped about it. <laughs> But then, like, just as many of, like, dude, I had a razor blade, and I was thinking I might just fucking go start carving away. I'm sorry, I said 50-50 of that. Okay. Composition-wise, 80-20 negative, unfortunately. Um, um, Where do you feel like you are right now? Now I'm good. Like, I feel like for the past, well, I guess really since I, like, this past school year, the past school year is unique, actually, because the past school year is one of the first times in my life well, I felt like it was an aggregate negative, but it wasn't like a deep low. Like mm-hmm. if you're talking about a scale of like white to black, white being like happiness, black being like sadness. It was like a charcoal gray. Yeah, it was like a charcoal <laughs> gray. Okay. Which I've never really had a charcoal gray experience in my life. It's usually like lighter and then like lesser, like really white or black. Mm-hmm. This past school year is the first time it was like, like you said, but charcoal you all, like gray. Like you said, you also had a relationship too. 
Right, which may I don't know what that contributed. I don't know if that was like pulling me towards the white or the black. I'm wondering if that kept you in the gray. As opposed- yeah, pro- I don't know where it was. I guess it kept me in both. Uh, I don't know. That's the first time. But since I've stopped working, and once again, this is ironic. For the past, let's see, school year ended in June. It's now September, so th- three months. Oh, like exactly three months. I'm like not quite bright white. But like, close. And you, I've been like unemployed, vac- living out of a backpack. That's what I was gonna spinning, say. Are you feeling pins, spinning it, two weeks at a time in my mom's basement? Is it stressing you out in terms of Not like all. the societal pressures uh, of like having to answer to that? Uh, a little bit. The way I say it is like the probably the same amount is with me when I have to talk to like the moms in carpool and I don't have a job right now. That's what I would Yeah, kind of like, yeah, I know. It's stressing me out because I know what you're thinking in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, I know you're thinking, dude, what are you doing with your life? A lot and of that's that jealousy. Stresses, <laughs> yeah. uh, that stresses me out a little bit. But I've gotten to a point where, like, I don't really care that much. And that's on, and that's really the honest truth. That's I don't curious. really care that much. Uh, it's far le- The negative aspect of where I am right now is far less me like feeling embarrassed about or self-conscious about the societal aspect of it and more like the uncertainty of what the future holds Mm -hmm. but i'm at this point where i'm like 51 percent super excited and uh, by the uncertainty yeah 49 percent scared by the uncertainty but the fact that I'm in that 51% excited about it has, like, keeps me like, all right, I'm good. And the fear is, like, not that big of a deal. Like, I don't mind the fear. It's almost, like, motivating. I think if you ever get to, like, where your 51 is dropping, just keep reminding yourself of, like, what I was talking about, which was those – the luxury that you can. Right. No, I do. I do. That, that you can. And, and because you can and because you do have that desire, then you should. Right. Right, it goes back to what we, you were saying at the beginning when you're like, you have to remember, you're like a 6'4", 200-pound, white, educated man who comes... With no biological clock. And right, with no has, biological has, clock. Has, th- you know... Whose mom is more than happy to take her into her basement if and she ever hits the fan. Right? And right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I do remind myself of that. And so, at, at one point, it's like, man, I should, like... I, like I'm like, should I feel guilty about that? And therefore, like live a conventional lifestyle but then when I come back to it I'm like nah I feel like I should take advantage of that luxury I feel like I should take right, advantage so of the those are your luxuries safe, and then your me. your handicap obviously is is the is the mental mental piece right the OCD stuff mm-hmm. and, and we all have them right like so and yours is is substantial so like I think ultimately for me like my want for you would be like your catalyst has to be like what is going to keep you from the black. Yeah. Preferably what's going to keep you from the charcoal gray, right? right? But like Yeah. Well, that's my other thinking too. It's like when I am in this place of like whitish then um but it comes with me being like unemployed and a vagabond. See, which from the outside perspective from a societal perspective, wouldn't be, I guess, the the norm of yeah. success. I'm like, I have to think about, I have to set my own personal parameters for what is success. Because failure 
it's constant suicidal ideation. Yeah. So if I'm away from suicidal ideation that's and success. and actually that's success. Well, and <laughs> so for my me, my like, standard of success is a little fucking different than what most people would think of. For sure. For me, like my experience of you in the last decade being black alley or white alley. White alley was this like larger than life floating above the ground person who was like su- is super charismatic but also a dick and don't like you not and like a lot of times you don't even realize it like there's because like you don't need from other people so you don't have like or you don't recognize that you do so you weren't you weren't needing communication or even like the like the thought and consideration of other people and so, but then you're black, and again, like, going back to your 80-20, that person, I've seen you at a point where, like, as a brother, as an uncle, you were, like, so tender-hearted and caring and amazing, but I've said to everyone, like, to mom, to Morgan, like, I would, I would never trade you being in the white to keep black alley. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, I would always want to know that, like, if you were always in, like, larger-than-life dick mode, I would much rather have that 100% of the time if that was the choice. Like, to know you're out there and you're, ha- quote-unquote, happy. Mm-hmm. But, like, where I feel like you are right now, like you said, like, you're might, maybe not bright white, but, like, you're in, like, the lighters, like, you're, you're ivory, mm-hmm. right? But you're not, you're not Dick Alley. Like, you're not floating above the ground. Like, you are, like, there is a piece of you that is more grounded and is, you're, you are definitely more, like, introspective, retrospective, considerate. And I think if, for you, that's, that's one of the balances that I would want if you can find that. And I know you can. Yeah, that's a journey because I've recognized that too. And it's been unfortunate I've had both experiences, right? I've had the super dark and, and the super white. And you're not the only person that I've said that, right? Like when I've gotten in trouble with close friends is when I'm in this white zone where I'm just like And Morgan, nothing. like I know it really hurt her feelings like when you guys were in South America and things like that. Like and you wouldn't, you weren't even capable of seeing it. Mm-mm. Yeah, and, and friends have said the same thing. Like, dude, you are what they would perceive as like you are out of control you're just like fucking a tornado going through life like don't give a fuck about anyone's what's wrong with you bro like i'm good yeah yeah yeah. exactly but then i'll get a lot of times if i'm in my black like super black friends will it's not like friends like oh man i love you like this you're so tender and gentle hearted they won't say that but though they won't notice anything is wrong at all and they'll be perfectly happy with who i am and, and what's going on but I'll reflect them like, dude, I am fucking miserable. I don't even want to wake up in the morning. And they're like, really? What? We don't see that. Da, 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 da. You well, you've always great. been really good at hiding it. Right. So that's been a constant battle. That's been, I've had some real hard conversations with my friends because like, fuck, man, I feel like I'm really stuck between a rock and a hard place here because it's like, if everyone, if I need to get along with, if I want to get along with everyone and like not I need to be white, but rock, I need you guys to love me too. Right. <laughs> Like, people, I seem like the only time I have problems with no one and, like, everyone's totally accepting of my behavior and who I am is when I don't want to wake up in the morning, right? That's been an issue. And then when the only time, like, I really want to wake up in the morning and want to conquer the world is everyone's like, man, this guy's fucking out of control and he's kind of an asshole. 
right? So it's like, fuck, I need to find a happy medium where like, I'm not rubbing people the wrong way, but I also have this desire to get up in the morning. So that's what I'm trying to do, right? Now it's fucking complicated. <laughs> Real fucking complicated. And a lot of that's chemical, man. A lot of that's chemical. Because when I've been like on one, like out there, it's when my Prozac has been like at get specific at 40 milligrams okay which is double are you at 20 right now 20 okay right and when i've been at zero not taking anything that's when like i don't want to get out of the fucking bed in the morning yeah yeah. and but I, I can hide it and like i can get through the day and i can still like be congenial with people are you feeling like you still have to supplement 20 milligrams like do you have to smoke pot do you have to uh no no, like the last three months, I haven't really smoked pot, and I felt really good. That's like, cool. I'll smoke pot if it's offered. That's, like, my new rule. That'll be the episode zero of this podcast where I lay out these five rules of, like, my guiding principles right now, and I may add or subtract from this list of five rules, but one of the rules is, like, only engage intoxicants when that's, like, what's going on. Intoxicant being at booze, mm. being at weed, being at fucking ice cream. Like, I'm not going to have booze in my fridge. I've never had that. That's never an issue with me I'm, but I'm also not gonna have weed in my sock drawer mm-hmm. and also never been an issue like I'm not gonna have fucking skittles in the cupboard that's also never been an issue he loves <laughs> I did love skittles when I was a kid um okay let's wrap up with like kind of reflection and like okay. future thinking what as a mom what do you want your how do you want your kids to look back on their childhood um, it's really important for me that they look back on it and, like, have just a sense of, like, safety um, and comfort, but also of experience, like, that they ha- like they were, they were did and saw and learned. Um, and just, all, I mean, again, cliche, but, like, ultimately just, like, love, right? Like, we surround these kids with love. Do, again, do I agonize about like unconditional love sending the wrong message of ambition or lack thereof of course but like ultimately yes I just want them to feel like they had a happy happy childhood where they had a lot of family and friends that loved them they did some really cool shit and like did some really cool shit you mean like Went to Florida. Went. Yeah, I mean, we haven't haven't done anything extravagant. Again, like we're a pretty balanced family, but like we haven't done anything extravagant. We haven't even gone to Disney World, right? Because Tyson doesn't think Elliot's old enough. Yeah, I wouldn't waste Disney World trip. Well, I know, but I'm just saying, like we're we're pretty boring in in general terms. Um, But yeah, like taking trips and learning about other culture, like Amelia doing a dual language program, like. Bless her heart, when we were at the Atlanta airport, she made a comment about the percentage of dark-skinned people. Aha! I've been waiting for that. It's never come up, but I'm waiting for it. And I had this on my list, too, and I, I, I forgot to ask. Do you have concerns, and it seems like you may, based on that communist made, do you have concerns about the fact that you're raising your family in Huntley, Illinois, which is, like, rural Chicago, Lily White. Nine thousand percent. It's a Republican like little hotbed, out like because it's far enough outside of Chicago that it was just rural farmland, right? And it is shifting, but it's not by any means going to shift fast enough for when you know my kids are indoctrinated and 
in middle and high school. Um, ironically, my in-laws are have similar views. Like that's as uh, as yeah, the area. Uh, my husband is much more leaning that way than you know. Um, yes, but again, I think I just am gonna have to try my best to supplement that. Do I think that someone can come? I guess for me, like, the way I would approach that is, could they be living in a much more multicultural area? Absolutely. But on the other side, on the flip coin of that, like, for us right now, the only, that really the only option would be Chicago because we're not going to move because of his work. So do I, would I want them to necessarily, like, grow up in the metropolitan area of Chicago? No. And we made that choice. And we made that choice again. Why not? Because of, first of all, the biggest driving force was safety. Um, second driving force is just like cost of living equal to schools because schools in Chicago, in order to have like a guaranteed good school, it's neighborhoods, like it's zoned. So you, I I couldn't afford it. Right. Like we couldn't afford like a night, like a good sized home and childcare because we both have to be working in like a school zone that we want. So you would have to apply for choice schools or charter schools. And that was never a guarantee. Right. And I wasn't willing to roll the dice on that. Right. So education was a big one and safety was a big one. And then of course, like I said, cost of living, like we thought like, Oh sweet. You know, we could get a yard and right. not, ironically, we just got rid of our yard, but, um, so yeah, I just feel like we will supplement that with conversations about Going it. Going to the Atlanta airport. Going to the Atlanta airport. <laughs> Tyson's Tyson's theory is if we take them to like Indian food places and the Thai place and they ask questions about the waitress's eyes, they'll be good. I don't know. What did she say when this is the six year old that said them in a comment when you got to Atlanta Airport? Yeah, I didn't hear it. Ty referenced it the other day when we were out, just the two of us. He said she said something about like why are there so many dark skinned people here? She said that's what she wore, dark skin? Yeah. Cora said something one time when we saw um just a, a black woman that worked at a McDonald's coming into like a gas station. It was like a McDonald's like, attached to a gas station and she was coming into the bathroom and Cor- all Cora said as an acknowledgement of her skin, you have to know Cora, but she just said, whoa, her skin matches her outfit. <laughs> you know, McDonald's, they were like the black polo black pants. She was like, for her, it was actually like the artist in her was like, impressive coordination. They'll <laughs> right. be fine. Yeah, they will be fine eventually. It's, it's interesting, though. Like, um, mom's neighbors here, they have three kids. And this area is getting increasingly diverse, Roswell. Uh, but, like, their mom's approach has been... And, obviously, they're exposed to a lot more diversity here in Roswell. Yeah. Right outside of Atlanta than y'all are in, in rural Chicago. Is that, like, their mom does not address it at all. Like, yeah. doesn't even bring it up. And it wasn't until... The one who's in fifth grade, she 10, was called something, right? She right. got called by a black girl in her class. She was told, "You can't come over and play at my house because you're a white girl." Right. And so that she I goes. I think that's my approach too, though. I don't think I. Uh, I don't think that I was address the, it. Yeah. That was the first time she had ever even been exposed to the fact that she was a white girl. This girl's a black girl, and so she came to her mom crying, like, "I'm a white girl. What? Like, what does that mean?" And I, th- I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Like she didn't even bring it up. To me, it's amazing though that like. Your kid, it took six years for, like, your kids to really even, or Amelia in this case, to really even bring it up. Well, Amelia but, has a black child in her class. Right. And she's it's never a, mentioned anything about it? 
No, not to it me. It seems like a kid would just notice the fact, like, oh, my skin's this color, your skin's that color. But again, I don't think that... We, I feel like we've had a couple conversations enough that, like, maybe she has brought it up before about somebody. I don't know if she necessarily brought it up about this little boy, but, like, where we've just, like, we've already addressed, like, maybe it was, you know, even in books or something. Right. Like, you know, some people's skin is like, like, again, like Melanie, like shades of tan or something. I right. probably said something to that effect. Um, different, you know, and, and kids, too. Like, it depends on their personality, but they may just, like, kind of file that in under like okay well i know there's red hair blonde hair brown hair gotcha. there must be gotcha. white skin dark skin yeah, yeah that makes sense her comment with to tyson this time did tyson say how she phrased it so y'all are at the atlanta airport and she just knows like like it, she, I think it was of, truly inquisitive like whoa i have like one in my class why are there so many here like are we in a different country what is she do you know which term she uses she said dark skin why are there so many people who are dark skin dark skin okay yeah um, what do you want for them for their future? <laughs> like you said, you care if they're stripper clowns. Do like, you care? Do you have ambitions? Like, do you I want them all to go stripper. to college? Um. Do you want, like... I don't know. Okay. And I think that's because I don't know who they are yet as beings. Right. And I think that, I guess, that's, I want for them, I want them to have... I want them to have good work ethic. I want them to be kind. I want them to be polite. I want them to be patient, like well behaved in general. Um, but as far as like the development of their own individual like, paths, desires and passions, like I want those to develop. Right. Like Amelia and horseback riding. I don't care if it's a million dollars. Like if that's really what she wants to do and stick with it not just because she wins a blue ribbon like if I want her to do that and if that, even if that goes nowhere even if like she rides horse until even 18. if we in collectively spend $200,000 on horseback riding and one day she just decides she's done a thousand percent okay yeah because I think do I think that there's value in that yes do I really I mean do you really want me to get into why I think there's value in horseback riding no but like I value the horse care even more so than the riding, right, yeah, but I do think that. that there's discipline and like even for her personally, just even like having to go to lessons and to learn like English riding specifically is valuable because she now, after experiencing one horse show, is like, I just want to skip to the horse shows. Right. I just want everyone to congratulate me on sitting on a horse and getting a blue ribbon. And yeah. I explained to her, you got a blue ribbon because you were one of one in your section. <laughs> Like, I really actually kind of w was hoping, like, I'm glad, I'm glad she had a good experience and she is six, whatever. But again, like, the everyone's a winner. Right. Like, the next round, that'll be the telltale. The right. next round when she gets an honorable mention. Right. Right? Because she's the bottom of the barrel if she still is willing to continue right. with horseback riding. And that goes back to, like, perseverance and work, mm. and work ethic and that. Um, how they learn it, whether it's art, whether it's stripper clowning, whether it's, well, she wants to do palms and cheerleading, so I just keep ignoring her. But, like... Palms? It's pom-poms. It's literally fucking cheerleading, like tumbling. Oh, it's like little girl cheerleading? It's a big thing in Huntley. She will probably be really mad at me, like, mom, like, I was mad at mom that, like, she forbade me to do cheerleading. You're gonna forbid palms? I'm not for I'm not forbidding it, but right now she has not chosen it over horseback riding, and so I, I offered gymnastics. Right. <laughs> I'm just trying to steer it a little bit. Gotcha. Um, so you have an you have 
Like, do you, I do I want them to live overseas? Do I want them to be doctors? Do I want them right. to live in my house forever and ever and love me and love me and cuddle and sleep with me? <laughs> I don't care. I, I just want them to be happy. I really do. Like, and I you want them to be good people. And I want them to be good people. And I want them. Again, I want them to have perseverance. Like, I want Amelia to overcome her fear of shots. Got you. You know, like, just, just, I have little goals and I guess overarching goals, but there's nothing, I, I don't there's have, no like... specificity. Like, I want them to go to graduate school. I want them to be married and have a family of their own. I don't, I don't need or want them to go to college or graduate school or whatever, or beyond, but... If they don't, I want it to be for what I consider like a valid reason, not right. just like I don't feel like going to school anymore because right. I don't want like I don't want to bother, you know. Right. Like, but again, that goes back to like those underarching like character development, right? So, what do you want for yourself? So let me. So kind of similar to you, I guess I just want to figure out what I want to do next because right now I am doing kids. Right. So the way I look at it is like. Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing right now. And it seems like... Ironic. I never thought I would say this, but, like, I think if I... I am going to have kids. I'm not sure how that's going to manifest itself, but I'm, like, kind of envious of your current position. I think I would really like to be at a point, at some point in my life, where, like, that's what I'm doing. I'm raising my kids. I, that actually sounds... And this is a recent development. Like, maybe within the last year or two. Mm-hmm. Like, man, that sounds awesome. To like what I do every morning is wake up and devote myself to my children. I think, however, that's a sh- that's a like a several year thing. So to me, I look. I the question I ask: What do you want for yourself? What do you envision once they don't need your constant care? So I guess once they're all in school. Mm-hmm. So like at some point they're all going to be like, like in like middle school, mm-hmm. right? The youngest. What do you want then? While you're still caring for them, while they're still in your house, what do you want for yourself? And then also, first that, and then also, once they're out of, once they're adults, or off into college, what do you want for yourself? I don't know. So, great question. Um, And I envisioned, like, again, like, we kind of had it, when we first decided, Ty and I first decided that I was going to stay home, I think our original expectation was it was just going to be, like, a year or two. And. Was that before you had Elliot, the third? Yes, but it was right before Elliot. So, like, we knew we were going to have Elliot, but I think we envisioned, like, me going back to work after, like, a year or two. Like, me just kind of taking a little time off, like, getting acclimated to three kids, and, like, his mom would take back over. But, like, circumstances that just... Circumstances that didn't make it easy to have his mom be an option as a childcare provider, and circumstances that where his job's still doing fine, that I can stay home. So that's just continued and we just haven't even had to have those conversations but in my mind I envisioned it being more of a professional sabbatical very temporary instead of a job shift right like to raising my children and it's still that's still hard for me because I still feel like you people don't and even myself like it doesn't seem like that should be all encompassing as like your profession so you feel like you have to be like pursuing other things or at least even thinking about those or working towards them. So every now and then like I'll get like these tinges where I'll like I'll get online and search like what would be the requirements for me to shift over to like behavior analyst? Like how much school would that take or like are there any like interior design schools near me that like I could stomach being the only person you know over the age of 21 because it's not a community college or like 
things like that. Like, are there other career paths that I could take where I did, wouldn't have to go back to school and feel really old and, you know, spend two years doing it? So I don't know. I really do like the idea of part-time work and being in a lot less traditional of a, you know, it, whether it's stuff I can do out of the house or just like contract work or whatever. But I don't know what that would be. And again, because of where we live, without having to drive into the city, that could be complicated. Um, I don't know. I like the idea of patchworking something. Like, whether it's like I work like 15 hours a week, like still doing like ESL teaching. But, I, you know, it's, a, it's cool. It's a job. But it also gives us some money. And like, I like it. It's fun. And, you know, X, Y, Z. I don't know. That's the answer. So, but the, like... The education idea. I feel like I hide behind my kids a little bit in that because I don't have to answer that right now. Right, right. But that's just reality. Yeah. Um. But the when you talk about education, is that just because that's what you have experience in? So that would be the easiest transition. No, I mean education. Like, like if I wanted, I if ultimately I think I would. I have to dance because I have to piece of my. Ultimately, I think I would prefer. I know I would prefer to not go back into education. At least not in the classical, like, I have a classroom sense. Right. Um, if I had the complete choice, what would I do? I don't know. But I think it would be something in... More artistic? Yeah. If I didn't, if I didn't have to factor in, like, if education and or, like, taking on school bill, like, more classes for myself, like, school bills for our family... So I don't know if I'm willing to do. Not that we're not in a place that we couldn't do it, but I just don't know if I will. Um, I think it would be something more in arts, like design, or even maybe like some kind of store. Maybe even for kids and art, like somehow combine all those things. Right. I don't know. Um, I love interior design. I love the idea of even like staging. I even like pieces of real estate i hate selling so that's not gonna work but like i don't know right like i love houses do y'all have an uh, do y'all have some sort of plan where you're gonna get like retired i don't know yeah where we're gonna get retired i mean ty's ty's business is gonna sell at some point and then i think we may have to be forced to make some decisions um with that like whether or not we have to move or i have i have to go back to work at any time um i mean and those again those are life choices right like if his job tanks and I have to go back to work, like, within two weeks to make money, um, then I will be back in education, right? Because that's where I, that's the only place where I could make any type of decent salary immediately. Okay. Um, all right, I'm going to pause here. I have one more question for you, and then you're going to pee, and it looks like y'all got to go. But I got one I more pee. question for you. Okay. Um, so I have a very... Um, like we discussed, I want to have kids at some point. I don't know where this is going, though, this like this path that I'm on. Right. right? I have this very general end goal that I do want to reproduce at some point. I have no idea how that's going to manifest itself. I don't know if I'm capable of having like a life partner or being with someone for multiple decades at a time to raise those kids with. I don't know if the ideal situation is like me getting some sort of like surrogate and me raising this kid as like a single dad. Um, I don't know. Like, I do think I need to have a lot of like unique kind of extreme experiences before I reproduce at some point what recommendation or advice or even like vision would you have for my path 
I think even just the fact that you are, you acknowledge that much in yourself and are honest with yourself to that degree is, is a really good starting point. And then just to continue to be honest with anyone that you do get like romantically involved with, um, cause that's not what a girl's, most girls are going to want to hear, but they can't fault you for saying it that plenty of them could secretly hope to change it. And it's possible it will change, right? And it's possible totally. that, you know... Yeah, that's very you, true as well. That, the, again, like the, a cliche of like, if you meet the right person, you're, you're, or, or you could have a, different experiences that could shift that too. But, and, I, and I, I agree with you, like, especially if it's keeping you in that white area, like have those experiences. Do I think that you can have those experiences though with a partner? I think that you could have them with a partner. Yeah. Some of them you can't. Some of them, some things you just have to do on your own. But I think you could have some of those things with a partner as long as you guys both had a mutual agreement and or understanding that like you truly want to wait to procreate. Can you have some of those experiences with kids? Yes, because I know that it's po- I know it's possible. I know plenty of people have had it in terms of like real like tons of traveling and adventurous life. Um, it, does it seem like it's a much more complicated for sure financial stability for sure, you know, like um, was am I willing to like uproot my kids and take them somewhere that's like questionable because I want to live like some no, but plenty of people do it. Um, so I think it's just responsible of you to even be contemplating that because again we talked about like people in marriages and how so many people get into it flippantly and then get right back out of it like jumped mm-hmm. on that train whoop wrong train let me get on this train whoop right. wrong train. Yeah, you don't want to go down that path. Yeah, definitely not going to go down that path. But I also don't want to go down the opposite ex- extreme. Which is like forced solitude or something along those no, lines. No, yeah. I don't think you will. All right, sweet. That's it. It's time for you to go back to your home. Love you. Love you too. Thank yeah. you for doing this. You're welcome. Adios. Adios. Mm-hmm.